Hello, A3 Nation, and welcome back to Ask an Alum with your host, Tierra M. Davis. As always, I have something extra special in store for you in the form of a career conversation. Now, here's the thing. Just because the career that I'm discussing may not be exactly what you want to do, doesn't mean there isn't a gem or several gems within the story. I selected this one just for you. And we're back with part two of Dr. Range's episode. Stay tuned to learn more about Tierra's journey through medical school. Um, okay, so last time we left off, you're talking about studying study techniques. Um, I was curious about, what was I curious about? The way that you study with your friends. So again, through my research, I learned that you guys kind of quiz each other. You'll ask them questions. They ask you questions. I'm curious about how you find that friend group of people that are not takers, but they, they're actively invested in your, your learning as well. Absolutely. So towards the end of medical school, I pretty much studied on my own. But for those couple of years in the beginning, I did study very closely with a few people. Those people I found through coming to class every day, but it's easy to find people as long as you are finding them in the way that you learn, if that makes sense. So for example, um, at LSU, you can either be a class goer, meaning you attend class every day and you sit at sit in class at the lectures, or you can be a podcaster, meaning that you watch the lectures as they happen live from the comfort of your own home. For me, that didn't really make much sense because I would get way too distracted doing something like that. So I went to class every day and the people that I sat around in class every day, they were the people who I was surrounded by the most. So um, I saw them all the time. We would kind of get to talking about what we were struggling with most. And if I noticed that they had a deficiency in something I was really strong in, and I had a deficiency in something that they were really strong in, well, then there's a mutual benefit there to us studying together. Um, and that way, if you're finding somebody who is struggling in what you are really good at and you are struggling in what they're really good at, then you have a lot higher chance of it being um, a mutually beneficial study partnership. Uh, that's one way that you can find a good group of people because, you know, you're, you're going through multiple courses. So maybe somebody has a background or a master's in cell biology and you only took a couple of the required courses in cell bio in undergrad. Well, then maybe that's somebody you need to study your cell biology material with. Um, I was really good at anatomy because I had a lot of exposure to it. Um, and a, a lot of the people I studied with had struggles with anatomy. So I would show them how to go through the body parts in a cadaver lab and they would help me in the subjects I was really struggling with, which were genetics and cell biology. So that's definitely the way I found the, the good vibe tribe, as I called them. So is podcasting, like being a pod, I don't know if it's a podcasted student, but is that version of med school cheaper than traditional or is it all the same cost? So it's all the same cost. Um, be there it's just one of the options that's available to you uh everybody pays the same set rate to go to medical school and then there's all these options that they have available for you to learn through and um being a podcaster is one of them the podcasted letters let uh excuse me those podcasted lectures are also recorded so 
I would, I guess, essentially use both methods. I would take the opportunity to go to class and learn in person. Um, you can ask questions through the chat on the podcast, but it's a lot harder to catch the attention of the lecturer in real time because they can't both lecture you and also check the chat at the same time. So your question isn't answered right when you need to know it versus going to class, you can always raise your hand and ask a question. So I would take advantage of those features of being a class goer, but then I'd also take advantage of the podcaster features by then going home and rewatching the lecture when I got home. Wow, okay. So, and then while you're doing all this, can you talk a little bit about how you're also preparing for the MCAT? Wait, no, that's the entrance exam. Is there like an exit exam for med school? Well, there's several. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> So there are a few exams that you have to take throughout medical school um, called your board exams, and they are a requirement to move on to residency uh, and even to apply for residency. In some cases, there is your step one exam, uh, meaning it's the step one or the first step in your board exams. And that exam covers all the material from your two preclinical years or your first and your second year of medical school. Typically, you can start studying for that by like the beginning of your second year of medical school. And um, I typically used a question bank. I would buy a question bank at the beginning of the year and just do a few questions over the year as they pertain to what I was currently studying, just to kind of like enhance my studying. Then at your third year, you take two more board exams, your step two clinical knowledge exam, and then your step two clinical skills exam. Um, all of these exams are kind of similar to the MCAT exam that you prep for for medical school. The MCAT is a seven hour exam. Step one is an eight hour exam. And step two is like a nine hour exam. And then step that's step two clinical knowledge. And then step two clinical skills is an all day in-person clinical exam that you take. So, you know, just building up your stamina for st sitting around for a test for that long and getting used to seeing that many questions. Uh, it just requires daily repetition, going through those questions as many times as you can. Um, because it's not, it's an exam that is a marathon to study for, definitely not a sprint. So there's no breaks in between the seven or eight hours? What about snack breaks? Snacks there are breaks. There are okay. breaks. So, so similarly to the MCAT, I think with the MCAT, you have a break every two, every one or two hours. Um, same thing with step one and step two clinical knowledge. You have a break every, I think, 90 minutes or something like that. And then you have like a, I guess for step one, your break is like 20 minutes for lunch. And for step two clinical knowledge, it's dependent on you. That's, I guess, the beauty of the board exams versus your MCAT exam. Your MCAT exam, those breaks are scheduled and you cannot use your break time, I think, exactly how you want it. Or maybe you can. I think it works out to where you have basically two or three five minute breaks and then one like 30 minute break. Some people can choose to not take the breaks at all. For step one, those, those breaks are about the same. And then for step two clinical knowledge, there's more of an exam, but you have the same number of breaks. So your breaks are a little bit quicker. You have about three minutes every, every hour and a half, and then maybe like a 10 minute or 15 minute lunch break. But 
you'll want to get that test over with. So you won't mind that you don't have much time for breaks. Okay, let's let's backtrack a little, and by a little I mean a lot, like before <laughs> med school. Um, so, because okay. I forgot to ask in terms of pillars. So what would you say are the pillars to getting into medical school? Sure. So we talked about a couple of them or a few of them actually earlier when we were talking about ways that students need to prepare for medical school outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of the pillars we already talked about were community service, clinical shadowing, and research. So those are, those are essential. In addition to that, leadership is very important. I would most definitely consider that to be a pillar. And the reason why is because to be a physician, you are a leader in the medical community. You are a frontline leader of a medical team. It is a team, but you are the person who is guiding that team and who is making most of those ultimate medical decisions. And so they want to see that you have the ability to start doing that right now, that you have those leadership aspects to you right now. So um, finding your own leadership opportunities now is really important. And there's tons of those at Centenary because there's so many clubs and so many things to get involved in. I was chief justice of the honor court and um, you know, I got there by getting involved in honor court very early on in medical school and working my way up. So getting involved in leadership is important. GPA, um, that's kind of a given. You have to have at least a, at least an above average GPA to be considered competitive. The more that you have outside of that GPA, it kind of helps if your GPA is lower. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're really wanting to ensure a higher chance of getting in, uh, making sure that your GPA isn't something that is a red flag is important. And then the MCAT. I think more than anything, the MCAT is so important just because there's no other way that they can measure you on a standardized basis. Uh, similarly to how the ACT is kind of like the way that it normalizes you across, across the country, um, this MCAT exam normalizes you across the country and kind of puts you on an even playing field with everyone in the country. And um, they want to make sure that you can get a really good score within a first or second attempt because that shows they actually do studies on this. Um, LSU included does studies on this to see how likely you are to pass your board exams on first attempt based on your ability to make a good and competitive MCAT score on first attempt. So um, I think of all the pillars, that's probably one of the most important. Um, what about a personal statement? Did you have to write one of those? Yes, you do have to write a personal statement. Um, the personal statement, I wouldn't say is like, it's something that you don't want to keep you from getting in, but it's not something that will keep you from getting in if it's not absolutely stellar. But it is a great way to add a personal touch to your application. Um, it should include certain things like, of course, why do you wanna be a doctor? Um, I think a great way to go about telling that story is to actually tell a story, make it anecdotal, because you are one of several thousand, several thousand people who are applying to that specific medical school. So you want them to know who you are as much as they can from your words. 
What if the story is, I just want to help people or I want to make my mama proud? Why is that not enough? Or is that enough? It's definitely not enough. That's what Uh I mean. Okay. (laughs) But it's hard to tell a student, like, "Uh, I don't know about that. Everyone's going to say I want to help people. Exactly. If there's any words you want to avoid in any part of your medical school application and interview day, it is, I want to help people. Just because um, from the perspective of an interviewer or somebody reviewing your application, if you don't want to help people, that's like a red flag. You know, if you, you know, it's kind of an understood thing, no matter what field that you decide to go in, even if it's not medicine, your tip, your job is typically a job of service, whether you're an accountant or, you know, even somebody who works at a gas station, you're providing a service to people, you want to help people. So um, saying that you want to help people isn't saying much. You need to tell them how you got where you are. Um, For example, my story comes from a personal experience with my father. Um, I watched him go through a severe episode of anaphylactic shock in front of me, had to be rushed to the ER, and he almost died. And throughout that process, I got to meet his medical team, and I got to watch them in action go through a differential diagnosis have to come up with a plan on the spot to make sure that they saved his life. And afterwards they explained everything to my mom and to myself and being a part of that, watching that play out, that was incredibly inspiring to me. And I wanted to be a part of a team like that. Being able to express why you want to help help people and how you want to help people is much more impactful than just saying the words, I want to help people. And of course, everybody wants to make their family proud you can make your family proud in a multitude of ways. Being a doctor is, uh, is just one of them. So, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily include anything like that in the application or on interview day. I think it's understood. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a story. I'm just like, oh, wow, what an interesting story. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the reason why I asked that question had nothing to do with students, but I've been looking at a lot of personal statements and a lot of them are saying the same thing in terms of I want to help people or I really want to make my family proud or I want to impact my community. I get that. But trying to teach students to say that without say that without saying that directly, like say that, as you said, in a, in a story form. Um, right. But I think what you just shared is exactly the, the key that I've been missing. So what is the story behind that? Why? And I think it's it takes time to help them articulate that. Was there someone or something that helped you write that story or bring that out? Um, I think it took a lot of personal reflection and it took a lot of drafts. I, I can't even remember how many drafts it took. Um, one of my mentors was somebody who worked in diversity affairs at the medical school and I showed her my personal statement and on my first draft, she was like, this is not what you plan on turning in, right? <laughs> I was like, I guess, I guess it isn't, you know, but I needed that kind of feedback. And she said, look, like, this doesn't tell me anything about you. So just, you know, making sure that they know who you are by the end of reading it. That involves not being cliche. Um, you know, you can include a quote if you want, but, you know, don't start out the personal statement with a quote because a lot of people do that in an effort to not be cliche, but it then ends up becoming cliche. Um, rather than regurgitating your person not your personal statement, but your, um, your resume, rather than regurgitating your resume, share the qualities that you gained through the different experiences that you had on your resume. 
for example. I was involved with Sante and through Sante, I got to work with the MLK Health Center. Rather than saying that, because they can read that on my resume just by looking at it, it's on the next page over. Um, rather, than, rather than saying that, I would say, you know, I learned how important it is for me to uh, work on my communication skills and patient interaction because they incorporate the teach back method when uh, distributing medications to patients. Being a part of that process showed me how important it is to um, expand my horizon and understand that patients are operating at a multitude of different levels of communication skills and it's important to meet patients where they are, whatever level of communication skills that they're at. And, uh, you know, I, I plan to continue to work on this throughout medical school. Just saying things like that, saying things that are important to you, but don't just show that you're trying to say, well, hey, look at this. I did this and this was on my resume. If you did something in the community, tell how that impacted you. Um, I really did enjoy my time at MLK and it showed me how important it is to educate patients um, to make sure that they understand what you are trying to tell them. It improves um, rates of patient compliance, um, which I say in air quotes because, you know, what is compliance, right? But um, it improves the rate of patients being able to follow the instructions that you give them. And it also therefore improves their care. And I learned all of that through my experience at MLK. Being able to say that in one sentence rather than rambling is something that takes many drafts. But um, the, the hardest part is being able to take all of your experiences and turn them into experiences that you talk about rather than just resume, lines on your resume, if that makes any sense. No, that does. You're so good at like beautifully and nicely articulated. It's like you're in It's almost like a counseling experience. Um, <laughs> when I'm working with students and they're not giving me what I want, I'm like, this ain't it. <laughs> you're just, you're almost like a poet. <laughs> like, oh, thank that's, you. that's a skill. That's really a skill. Thank you. So do practice. you have any, go ahead. Sorry. What was that? Oh, I just said practice makes perfect. Yeah. I really need to, I mean, when the work is good, I'm like, this is great. This is wonderful. This is it. And then when it's not, it's just like, how do I sandwich that in a more poetic, rosy way? Because, you know, if they're working on it, it's like their baby, they're tied to it, then their feelings are heard and blah, blah, For blah, sure. blah. But sometimes sure. it just sucks. And you got to tell them this sucks without saying this sucks. Right, right. I think um, some, some, of, some of those skills I've learned was through tutoring, which I've done all throughout med school and all throughout undergrad. But um you're right. Sometimes it's harder for people to take that constructive criticism, which is something people should work on before starting medical school, because you'll get a lot of constructive criticism while in medical school. But um, I, something that I learned from a former resident advisor at Centenary, Justin Kirks, who was my absolute favorite. He was over Klein when I was an RA in Klein. And something that he always told me helps when providing feedback to people is giving them a compliment sandwich where you tell them everything that's good about what they've done. And then you say, well, this is something that I would work on if I were you because I'm not really understanding what you're trying to convey. I know that you're passionate about it, but I can't see that from what you've written on this paper. So try again. And then finishing up with a, with a compliment by, you know, but I, it's obvious that you put in a lot of work into this, it, you know, 
I know that you're trying hard. I know that we can get to the goal that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I remember, I, I guess I, I, I was also, a, we called it community assistant, and we called mm-hmm. it compliment wrapped in an insult, which is <laughs> even nicer, right? You're just like compliment matched in a fatigue. Um, there's something that you said, though. So have you been working while in medical school the whole time? Yes. Yes. Like a job? Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. So I would say more people do that than you would, than you would think. Um, it's not, it's definitely not, um, your typical nine to five because that's not sustainable. I never worked more than maybe like 15 or so hours a week. And that would be on lighter months, but I always liked having some form of income just so I could have a level of independence for myself. And, um, also it was something I, I really enjoyed doing. It was my escape away, uh, from medicine and also a way for me to give back. Uh, so I tutored. That's something I never stopped doing. I started doing it while I was at Centenary. Um, I tutored in the math department at Centenary, and then I also tutored for a little bit in the science department and like organic chemistry and general chemistry. And then when I made it to medical school through a tutoring service, I tutored absolutely everything. I tutored MCAT prep, Um, but I would tutor as young of a student as my youngest student was five and my oldest student was 50 years old. And I would just tutor them in really whatever they needed, as long as I felt comfortable with the material. Um, as long as the people were flexible with my schedule and how wonky my schedule could get sometimes, then I would be okay with tutoring them. And then my fourth year of medical school, I had a little bit more time on my hands and I was better able to manage the course schedule. It was mostly clinical and my hours were a little bit better. So I was able to take on another job working at a beauty school as their creative liaison where I helped them with things like um, redesigning their catalog and understanding, you know, some of the different things they needed to add to their catalog, ways to reach out to students, um, how to get better retention in their classroom, things like that. Wait, wait a minute. Okay, you were in medical school and then you were also tutoring on the side 15 to 20 or so hours. Um, and then you had another job? I did. I added that my fourth year for Fonzies. Mm-hmm. For fun- so you, but you were earning income from that? Absolutely. Yes, I was. At like a salon? So they had like a salon portion of the beauty school, but I worked on the administrative side. So I was actually downtown at the Regions building um, in one of the high rises in, in downtown Shreveport. And I had a desk job and um, I would work on things like, you know, they would give me their, their course catalog and say, hey, we don't think students are reading this and it's not working for us because students need to read this to understand how to prepare for classes, but they, it's not catching to the eye. So how can we fix this? So I would go through their whole catalog and redesign the entire thing. So you were a designer too? In free time, in my free time, I like doing things like that. Like an artist? So no, more of like computer designing things. That's pretty cool. Do you do hair as well? I do my hair. (laughs) I'll do hair 
friends. I, I did, I guess, like earlier in my life before I knew that I wanted to do medicine, before I was even introduced to medicine, I always thought I was going to go to cosmetology school, which is why I was kind of drawn to this whole beauty school experience. But that's more of just something I do for fun. And like, I'll do my friend, I did my friend's hair for like prom and I'll do my mom's hair for like formal events, but nothing, nothing for pay or anything like that. So what led you to apply to the beauty school job? I'm sure you weren't bored. So I definitely wasn't bored. Um, but I felt like I wanted a little bit more income coming in because your fourth year of medical school, you go on interviews and interview season is much more of an added expense, especially with additional interviews that you go on. I knew that that I planned on having a robust interview season because I applied to a lot of medical schools, excuse me, a lot of residency programs and the residency programs only cover so much. So they will cover some of the hotels uh, for at least one night, but they don't reimburse you for any travel expenses um, other than that. And so to have some extra money in my pocket, I picked up an extra job to, um, to avoid having to take out additional loans Wow. Okay. I'm still, I'm still baffled that you had two jobs in addition to being in medical school. Um, I'm, I have a follow-up question with that. So, so when you apply to medical school, I'm sure there's like a combination of loans, but are you, are you fully living on the salary from your tutoring job and then your beauty school job? Or does being a student, does that, do they help offset the costs with that too? I'm not sure if I'm asking that the correct way. Like, do you need to work to be able to live? Oh, no, no, you definitely don't. Um, typically, though, your fourth year, people will take out additional loans just because you live off of like this certain set number of loans. Basically, you apply for loans. And then at the beginning of the year, they give you a semester's worth of loans, which it's up to you then to then budget out to live off of over a semester. And then in the spring, they give you another set of loans, which you're supposed to live off of until the following calendar or course year, school year, um, which is fine until you get to the point where you have to then add additional amounts of money for going on interviews and some are too far away to drive and you have to fly to them and maybe you need an additional night in the hotel and that adds up. So um, working helps with that. You don't have to, you can always take out more loans, but I didn't want to get any more debt than what I already had. So do you have a plan to pay all of that back? Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of loan plans that you can go through. Uh, and the medical school, my medical school and medical schools across the country are really good about this, um, where they will give a loan exit, I guess, course or, or something like that, where they kind of go through how you can pay back your loans and what your options are. Uh, many programs, will suggest that you do a loan forgiveness program because that allows you to pay off your loans over a period of maybe 10 years and then whatever loans are left over uh, are forgiven as long as throughout that 10 years you're working for a nonprofit hospital. And the time that you spend in residency can be included in that time working for a nonprofit and most residency programs are, are you're working through a hospital that is nonprofit. So you're giving back your time through residency and you're also paying off your loans, knowing that in 10 years, whatever's left, it's forgiven. Wow, okay. 
Um, this is the this is the most important question that I always forget to ask, which is supposed to be about you know who you are now. But can you describe your current role, starting with your title, and then outline some of your day to day interactions? This is like really what students want to know. All the other questions are real selfish and because I'm nosy. Sure. So I am a MD or a medical doctor, uh, meaning I have a doctor of medicine degree. How exciting! I know it still feels so weird. Somebody called me Doctor Range the other day, and I had to like look back at them like, what did you say? So mm -hmm. it feels so weird to say now. Um, my title at the hospital is resident physician in the field of pediatrics. And what that basically means is that I'm a doctor who is still getting specialty specific training. Uh, since I'm a first year resident, my specific title as a resident is an intern. So that's my, my title. That's who I am. And my first day of residency is actually tomorrow. Oh, so you haven't even started yet. I have not. I, I've been in the hospital getting prepared and doing all this PPE training and learning how to prepare for coronavirus and um, basically what it means to be a frontline provider. But day one starts tomorrow with a night shift. What are you going to wear? So I have to wear my <laughs> No, these are, these are the important questions. I'll be wearing my white coat for the first time name? ever. Is it gonna have like the thing on it? It has my name on it and everything. So I'll be wearing my white coat and a pair of scrubs. Um, typically, if you're working throughout the day, you'll wear professional clothing. But if you're on a night shift, then you, were, you wear scrubs. And I'll just be working from 7 p.m. to around 7 a.m. Are you gonna put your hair in a bun or? Probably going to have to, um, just because you want to limit the amount of hair that's in your face or clothing or any accessories that are on you given the COVID crisis because you're going to be around patients and you're going to be having to put on additional uh, personal protective equipment. Um, so the least amount of additional clothing, the least amount of accessories and hair is probably going to be out of my face. But if it was, if we weren't in the age of a pandemic, then you would wear your hair out. I would definitely wear my hair out. It's more comfortable this way. Did you go natural, like, in response to, like, all of the work that goes into being a doctor? Because, like, straight hair is a lot of work. Not that natural hair isn't. It is also a lot of work, but a different mm -hmm. word. That's a great question. Um, because it was kind of in response to the medical field, I started going natural my first year of medical school, uh, mostly because... Whenever I started medical school, I really started to evaluate what it meant to be healthy. I was a lot more mindful and um, health is not just, you know, eating good foods and drinking your water. It's a little bit of everything and hair health is something that's really important to me too. I started doing my own research on maintaining hair health and I was not doing it. I was frying my hair with that straightener. I wanted my hair bone straight every day. And uh, I just, I wasn't taking care of it. So I started going natural and it's a, it, it's a lot less to manage, even though it is, it is a lot of work. It's a lot less to manage. And what you'll see in residency is a lot of African-American women who go natural just because they know it's a lot less work. Um, you know, when you're working 12 hour shifts, six to seven days a week, you don't really have time to stop and make a an appointment with a hairdresser. So having something that you can do on your own and keep up with on your own helps out a lot. Yeah, that's why when I 
really started to get focused about school, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to spend like two to three hours a day braiding, twisting, oiling. So I was like, I'm going to get locks. And then I wake up and like, my hair kind of styles itself. And I'm like, this works. It looks great. They, so it styled itself. Like I did like a little shake and I'm like, this isn't half bad. I can rock with this. But yeah, because I was looking at your other pictures. And I was like, oh, she has a lot of hair. That looks like a lot of time. But like this new you is like curly hair. Yes. Straightening my hair took a lot of time and a lot mm-hmm. of effort. And I'll do it. I still do it, but only to get my ends trimmed. And I do it once or twice a year. Okay. This is, this is so much better. <laughs> it looks really nice. Thank you. Um, so I have something exciting. So we don't get a lot of listener questions because I don't know if students are really listening, but whatever. That's my <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, sorry about that. But you got listener questions, a lot of them too. So the other, um, yeah. Because I mean, like it's a big school for that students really want to go into pre-med and they want to be medic. So like I got a lot of questions and I was like, oh yeah. That's awesome. Anyways, um, Donovan got one question and then you have like all of these and then there's one that I slipped in there. Anyways, listener, sure. here we go. First one, uh, do you have to do clinical hours as a medical student? So the answer is yes, you do, um, but they're incorporated into the curriculum. So your first and your second year of medical school are your preclinical years, and the last two years of medical school are your clinical years. And I talk a lot about this in my on my YouTube channel and uh, a lot of my videos. So if anybody is very interested in learning more about specific questions or if they have specific questions that they want me to talk about on my YouTube channel, they can always um, email me and um, my email address is medgirlfitness at gmail.com and they can find me on YouTube at dot girl fitness. It's all one word. Um, but in it, I talk about the fact that your first two years, all you're doing is kind of preparing for being on the wards and working with patients. You're doing that through the classroom by learning about um, your basic sciences, as well as your pathophysiology, you're learning about different conditions. That way, whenever you get to the wards and to your clinics, your third and your fourth year of medical school, you can be an active participant in the medical care team. You can come up with your own differential diagnoses. You can look at a patient, see their symptoms and say, well, I think it may be this. And you can say, I think it may be this because of this, this, and this. Um, so you spend your third and your fourth year learning how to do those things. Okay, so earlier, this had to do the question, but you, you plugged your YouTube channel. Is your blog still active? It is. So I post some, I'll answer some questions either through a YouTube video or through posts on my blog. And then I always post links to my YouTube videos onto my blog. So people can check out my blog. It's .girlfitness.wordpress.com or they can go to the YouTube channel, which is like I said, just .girlfitness. Or if they have any specific questions that they want me to talk about, they can either go through the um, question page on the blog, or they can email me directly at medgirlfitness at gmail.com. Okay, I'll definitely link all of that as well, and then give a synopsis sure. of the stuff that you're talking about in the intro awesome. that I'll record. Um, okay. And then another side of our question, I know that you did some traveling as a part of the scholarship that you got. I'm also going to talk about that a little bit later, um, but... Where are those videos? Because they're not on KTBS's website. KTBS. So I can try and look for them. Okay. Um, I had uploaded a ton of them, but I used copyrighted music. Oh. And so they were on YouTube. But this was in the age before the only thing they would do is like give you a copyright strike and just make them non-monetizable. 
at this time, they would just remove your videos. Mm -hmm. So they just remove those videos. Um, I can try and look for them though. I may have them somewhere on a hard drive. Okay. I mean, no need. I was just looking for them because I was, I saw it and I was like, where are these videos? And I couldn't find them. <laughs> the students probably don't. Anyways, um, more listener questions, not tears questions. Uh, do some programs have a traveling component? So that's a, a really good question and something that students should keep in mind when looking for their medical school. Uh, if, if traveling and that being a part of your curriculum is something that's important to you, then I would definitely suggest to seek those programs out. Um, LSU Health Sciences Medical Center, they have an optional elective trip to either Kenya or to Haiti that you can do in your final year. And if you do that, you'll be working with patients in a village clinic and you get a lot of hands-on experience. Okay. Most programs will have some sort of like a global health component, um, but I would seek that out if that's something that's really important to you. And then the next one you already asked, but I'll just throw it out there anyway. Is it possible to work while in school or do you have to focus on your studies? Yes, absolutely. It is possible. I worked all throughout medical school. You can do both. The important thing is just to listen to yourself. And if your grades begin to drop, then drop everything that is making your grades drop. That should be number one. Um, working is not number one. That's something to keep in mind. There was one semester where I felt like it was starting to interfere. So I stopped. I reached out to my jobs and I said, hey, I need to take a break. They knew what I was in school for. They knew what I was doing. And they said, absolutely. Just let us know when you're ready to come back. So Nice. Um how expensive is medical school? Have you thought about the debt accumulation and how to pay it off? So medical school can be very expensive, but there's many ways that you can avoid having to pay the entire amount of medical school. Um, medical school right now in total is upwards of around $250,000 for the entire four years. Very few people end up having to pay all of that. Um, there are many opportunities to receive scholarships. If you are disadvantaged in any way um, at LSU, there's a disadvantaged scholarship. Um, if you are a diverse applicant, they have new um, diversity scholarships that will cover, cover your entire tuition. If you do well academically, um, you can apply for the LSU Board of Supervisor Scholarships, which is another full tuition scholarship. Um, and then also the medical school at LSU at least, and I'm sure other medical schools provide this option as well, they will continually look for scholarship opportunities that you qualify for throughout medical school and will let you know. Um, if you tell them that you're interested in being a part of that process, they'll let you know throughout the years uh, about different opportunities so you can apply for them. Okay, um, and then finally, what is your driving force? Hmm. Um, that's, that's definitely a reflective question. Uh, for me, my driving force is patient care and patient education. Um, many of my extended family members don't know the basics of their own medical problems. And that is something that I'm very passionate about because I feel like everyone should have a certain wealth of knowledge about their own health. And so I'm driven by the desire to educate patients so that they can be more knowledgeable about their own health issues which will in turn make them more likely to follow medical recommendations. Okay, that sounds great. Um, I wanna be conscious of time. How are you with your time? I know this is like, you have a few hours before you have to go to your first day of work. Oh, I'm good, no, 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 I'm good. Okay, cool. So the last segment will just be about health questions and then we'll wrap up with the before you go and that'll be it. Okay.
Okay, cool. Um, I don't know if you have these questions. I don't. I don't think you do, but I, it doesn't. That's matter. okay. Okay. Um, how are you investing in yourself outside of work? So, um, number one for me, which is important, is time with God. Um, I will never forget one day I was studying right over there at downtown Rhino, and um, I'll feel like I honestly feel like this was nothing but God. But I was sitting at a table. And this doctor who worked at LSU and had seen me around LSU came up to me and sat down at my table and he asked how I was doing. I think I was wearing my stress on my face. And um, he asked me if I was faith driven and I told him that I was. And he said, let me tell you something. I know where you are and I know how busy you are, but you're not too busy to save time for God. And if you go to church on Sundays and you stop going to church on Sundays, go back to church because even if you have a test on Monday, you should not be so bogged down that you can't go to church the Sunday before. And I just, I really needed to hear that because I had totally stopped going to church because I totally felt like I didn't have enough time. And ever since I talked to him that day, I have been making the time that I needed to spend with God by going to church every single Sunday, by getting invested in a Bible study group of, with that includes other medical students. And, um, it has been so enriching to me and has not only helped me spiritually, but also because I have an outlet and I have uh, a higher, a higher calling and a higher purpose to serve. It helps me do better in school. I've done much better since I've been doing both of those things. Um, I'm also investing outside of medical school and outside of the medical school experience uh, through family and time with my fiance, uh, spending time with my people uh that has helped me so much there is a lot of time that you have to spend and dedicate to your work uh in medical school and also what i anticipate having to spend in residency but you can always make even if it's no more than five minutes time for the people who have always been there for you and who have always supported you so um, i spend time with them that helps a lot uh also my youtube channel and my blog i love investing time and energy into that. I'm super passionate about it. And it's my way to tell the masses about the things that I wish I knew when I was going through the whole process of medical school and applying for residency. So that is something I've really been getting into and then spending time exercising. I invest in that too. So when did your physical health become a priority to you? Or has it always been a priority? I don't want to assume that it's not. It has not always been a priority. Um, it became a priority uh, when I was in high school. So another one of the driving forces as to why I've decided to go into medicine. Um, I had always been overweight. And by the time I was in high school, I was obese. And my doctor, you know, told me, my pediatrician said to me, Tierra, you need to, you need to start working on, sorry, it's another email. But he said, Tier, you need to start working on your health. You need to start working on your physical health. You need to start trying to exercise a little bit, work on your portion sizes. And I needed to hear that. Um, from that point forward, I started going to the gym. And over time, I was able to lose a significant amount of weight. And it be then through the process of losing that weight, it became an outlet for me. Um, whether that be running. When I was at Centenary, I was on the tennis team. So I love playing tennis. Um, and exercise is not only a time to kind of 
work through some of those emotions, kind of let things fall off of your chest, but also a great time to spend time with your family and friends because they can join you in those exercise activities. So hypertension and diabetes is like a big thing in the African-American community. And so why, why was it something that you take seriously? Because I feel like I hear people, they get that diagnosis and then you take the pill, but you, people still maintain the same kind of lifestyle. Um, So was it something about like, so what, what made you decide, like, I have to change and how were you able to basically stick through it? Sure. So um, not only are those very prevalent in the African-American community, but they're very prevalent in my immediate family. And um, whenever my doctor had this conversation with me, he had this conversation with me because I was pre-hypertensive and pre-diabetic. My lab results were starting to show that I was uh, just steps away, just a few pounds away from being in the category of having hypertension and having diabetes at 16, which is insane. those have so many lifelong effects and I've had family members who have died from diabetes as young as at age 26 and I didn't want that for myself and I knew that if I wanted to be not only somebody that can stick through this but also somebody that is an example for other family members to show them that they can do it too it needed to be something that I got done and that I stuck to so that, that was something that I kept in mind that helped me stick to my weight loss goals and my weight loss journey. Um, I did this through small changes over time. So cutting back my portion sizes little by little and then starting to remove things from my diet that I knew were not helping me sustain a, a good lifestyle. Um, you know, Twinkies aren't really helping me reach my goals. So are they really as important to, to keep in my diet? Same thing with sodas and stuff like that. I just made small changes over time. And before I knew it, my lifestyle was healthier. I wasn't just, you know, on a diet. I mean, also when you stop eating and drinking that stuff, when you try to go back, you're just like, what is this poison? Exactly. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't taste the same. You feel worse after you have it. And then you realize the kind of effect that it had on you. Um, Sugar can be very addicting. That was always my thing. I had a major sweet tooth. And I would do these challenges while I was in college too. I started my channel and I started my blog while I was at Centenary, but at the time it was called College Girl Fitness. And while I was in college, I would do these challenges where I'd say, all right, I'm going to try no bread, no sugar for a month and see how I feel afterwards. And my skin would glow and I would feel so much better and I would not have any acne on my face. And, you know, it's something radical, but it was something that I would try to do just to see how my body responded to removing things like refined and processed sugars and excess amounts of carbs and things that are not sustainable. So are you passionate about, I mean, I know you're passionate about nutrition, but have you ever considered going into like nutritional wellness, if that's like a doctor specialty? Right. So that's the ultimate goal for me. Um, If I could kind of tell you in a nutshell where I see my career going, if things work out the way that I see them working out, I would finish my uh, residency in pediatrics. I would then do a fellowship in gastroenterology. And uh, the fellowship title is in its entirety, gastroenterology and nutrition. And then my goal would be to one day open up my own obesity clinic and work with youth and try to combat um, childhood obesity. Wow, that's almost Michelle Obama level. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's so impressive. Okay. Um, and then finally, what do you want people to understand when it comes to their health? Hmm. I would under, I would want them to understand that health is a lifelong journey. Um, it's very easy to see where you are and see where other people are and to compare yourself and to say, oh my gosh, this isn't achievable. These people are here and I'm here. Uh, but take it one day at a time, one step at a time. It's one meal at a time, one workout at a time, one sip of water versus one sip of Coca-Cola at a time. And over time, you can reach those goals. So just, you know, stay in your own race and remember that it's a lifelong journey. Okay, I like that. Before you go, can you share a wealth tip, even though you've already showed a lot of health tips, a health tip and then any parting, parting advice? Sure. Uh, my wealth tip would be to save a little money each month, even if it's so minute, you think it's insignificant. Save a little bit of money every month that can contribute to a rainy day fund because you never know what could come up um, and it'll help in any kind of emergency or if you ever just want to treat yourself. Um, a health tip that I have would be to hydrate. Studies have shown that dehydration can interfere with your short-term memory, task performance, and even math skills. So drinking water is not just important for the obvious health benefits, but also the not so obvious productivity benefits. So staying hydrated is very important. And then for my parting advice, I would just want to tell everyone, if you're interested in medicine or whatever you're interested in in life, you can do this. Uh, as far as the medical field goes, it is tough but it is definitely a doable process and you all are more than capable. The fact that you're here and that you're interested and if you've listened this far into a podcast about it, then you have the aptitude, you have the perseverance, you have the capability and never forget that along the way. That was great. Thank you for your transparency. For sure. That concludes our podcast episode for this week. Thanks for listening and please, please share with a friend or colleague until next time when you spot an alum, ask them about their journey.